You're listening to the Save the Marriage Podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Hey, thank you for joining me today. Today, I want to do a little thought experiment. Uh, This is something that's going to help break things up a little for you because what I realize is in the midst of a marriage crisis, you're probably running on a lot of adrenaline and a lot of anxiety. And generally, what happens in the midst of that anxiety and that adrenaline, no matter what the crisis, is we start doing things like constantly just asking ourselves, how am I going to get through this? What am I going to do to make a difference? You might go to bed thinking that, get up thinking that, and in between, have horrible dreams about what to do in the midst of that. And all of that is about that anxiety and that fear of not knowing what to do. So today, I want to do a little thought experiment. I want you to think about how you saved your marriage. Imagine yourself in the future looking back on how this process unfolded and how things finally got back on track. I want you to do that because sometimes when we look back, we can always see that path. You know, sometimes we get to that place where we just can't figure out how to go forward. And then once we get through it, we realize that it wasn't quite as big a mountain as we had made it in the process. Now, the crisis can be huge, but dealing with the crisis can be very different when you're looking back. I've told the story many times about my experience the first time when I was learning to scuba dive, and there was this one exercise. We called it Doff and Don, which means you would go down and you'd, you'd take off all of your gear and leave it on the bottom of the pool, and you would come up, and then when told by the instructor, you would go back down and reassemble and get in that gear. It was a mental block for me. I was overwhelmed thinking about that process of getting rid of how I could breathe underwater and then going back down, not being able to breathe underwater and get it all back on. I dreaded it. I was anxiety ridden for a couple of weeks ahead of time, knowing that that was coming. And then the day came and I knew I had to do it in order to get to the other side. And so I went through the process And looking back, I realized that the biggest blocks were mental. The biggest blocks were where I got myself stuck, not the process itself. People had done this many, many times before, and I kept telling myself that. People have done this over and over through the years, and they've all survived, and I will too. So I kept telling myself that. The interesting thing was, no matter how I talked to myself that way, it wasn't until I was on the other side of it that I realized that the biggest block was just me. The biggest block was in my mind. And so that's the same process with saving your marriage. Believe it or not, the process to save your marriage is pretty simple. Now, I don't want to confuse that with easy. (laughs) It's not an easy process, but it is a simple and direct process. So this is probably going to be a little bit longer than my typical podcast. This is going to be a little bit more involved because I want us to go through a lot of these steps. And I want you to grab a pencil, grab a pen and a piece of paper and just jot down some notes as you recognize some places where maybe you're not doing what needs to happen. Because a big piece of this is recognizing that there is a missing ingredient to almost everybody who's married. And that's understanding what the process of marriage is about. I've said this before, but let me say it very clearly here. 100% of marriages have issues. 100%. Every marriage on earth has issues. You may not see them. People may hide them very well. But I assure you that 100% of the, the marriages on this planet have issues. Now, I've been married for over a quarter of a century now. We're, we're kind of pushing towards that 30-year mark. 
And during that time, we've had our issues. We've been very fortunate that we had a commitment to work through them. And I've also been very fortunate to have some ideas on how that works. And my wife has joined me in that process. And so we've been able to work through them. But don't confuse that with no issues. A happily married couple has figured out how to deal with the issues. It's not that they don't have issues. They've just figured out how to move through them. And you can too. So let's back up a little bit and figure out what kind of happened here. But first, let's do a little imagining. Imagine where you are right now. You're on the other side of the crisis now. Imagine what that's like, working together as a team. Imagine what it would be like to be working together to get through life, not just to get through the crises, not just to get through those tough times, but to get through life working as a team, united together as a team. Imagine what that would be like. Imagine solving conflicts and disagreements in ways that are both effective and peaceful. Imagine what that would be like. Imagine enjoying each other's company. Imagine coming home, looking forward to being with each other, spending time together, watching the world go by. Now, don't confuse that with being a super glue couple. That's not what you have to be, but you will enjoy time together on the backside. So also imagine what it would be like to be in a a loving, respected, respectful, and supported relationship. If you supported each other, if you acted lovingly, and we'll talk of the difference between feeling that love and acting lovingly in a few minutes, and that you respected each other. Those are the linchpins of this. It's commitment, support, love, and respect. If we get those together, your relationship will be on fire. So now that you've imagined what that's like, because that's where you are on the other side of the crisis, let's go back to what happened to get you into the crisis, because this is the bad thing. It's probably no fault of your own. It's probably no way that you set out to have a bad marriage. I'm guessing that 100% of the time when people got married, they were not intending on bad things happening. I have yet to be at a wedding where people said, well, sorry about that. I know you guys aren't planning on this working out, so enjoy the time you've got. Every time I've been there, everybody has said, I hope you have a great marriage go off and have it. And there's the problem. In the midst of that, what they were saying was, go figure it out. And a lot of what's happening is because everybody is saying, I don't know what to do. I can't figure it out. If you were married by a minister, the minister may not have been very clear about what's going to happen. And so the minister may not have helped you a lot in what to do. If you went to the justice of the peace, the same thing. In fact, justice of the peace is more likely to have seen a lot more relationships falling apart And so everybody's asking that same question. What does it take to get together? And so instead of facing that and thinking about that and giving you clear instructions, we just pat you on the back and say, go figure it out. Get some on-the-job training. Imagine what that would be like in any place. My son has had several job experiences, and his last one was not the best. He went in, and as soon as he got there, they said, here, go do this. No training, no get-to-know-you, no nothing. Before that, he worked with a company that went, walked him through a process of understanding the culture of that company and told him exactly what to do. Now, imagine the difference in that. Imagine just in his thinking about that process. In one, he felt very confident and ready to go. In the other, he felt like he was flying by the seat of his pants, not sure what to do. 
One lasted a while. The other one, he just said, I can't do that. And well, that's what happens if you're in a marriage where you don't know what's supposed to happen. If you don't know what the goal is of a marriage, how can you keep moving forward? So no thought fault of your own. It's a lack of information. It's also a lack of training and guidance that we don't give anyone, unfortunately. You either kind of figure it out as you go, on-the-job training, or it keeps you stuck for a long, long time. So the question is, what do you do about that? You probably didn't even have any great role models. Now, I'm not saying that everybody had a bad marriage around you, but what I am saying is rarely do we see what makes a relationship work. If your parents had a great relationship, you didn't see the magic that went behind the doors and the the mindset pieces that were in there because they probably didn't even think to tell you that. If they had a a horrible marriage or not even a great marriage, you might have left going, wow, I don't want that. I want to stay away from that. I just don't know how. And so we have a lack of role models. We only see, you know, the the A reel, not the B reel, not the stuff that, that we leave on the cutting floor. And so we have a problem. A lack of understanding of what goes into a great marriage, a lack of training in how to get there, and a lack of role models to show you the way to do that. Tell me where else in life such a big, important thing like that happens. Only in marriage. So here's what happens generally with couples. They get married with the best of intentions, hoping that things are going to play out the way they want them to. And then some things get in the way. Often they hit a pause button, and the pause button can be for a lot of reasons. It could be because they started parenting. They had kids and decided to be that parent role and forgot to be the spousal role. Sometimes it's a job. You know, you're trying to you get to that place, and, and we get fooled into thinking that if we just get to that next level on the ladder of success, then everything will be okay, and then we can turn our attention back to what really matters. But time keeps ticking. And pause never happens because you can't put a relationship on pause. It doesn't work. There's no pause button in a relationship. Every relationship is either going to be growing or receding. It's either going to be stepping up to the next level or dropping down to the next level. There's no place where it stays the same. You've either got to be getting energy up that moves it to the next level or it's going to drop down. So maybe you just thought, oh, we'll put pause on our butt, our relationship, and we'll come back to that. We'll hit that button and come back later on. It could be that you notice that there are these pieces of disconnection happening. Over time, you feel the suffering of that disconnection. And disconnection ends up being kind of like a ping pong game where when one person disconnects, the other person disconnects. And one person disconnects more and the other person disconnects more. And in the end, there's nowhere you can say, this started it. It's little by little, inch by inch, little pieces at a time that disconnect, disconnection happens. If you've ever watched a ping pong match, you'll notice that they hit it further and further apart and they back up further and further away and they hit it harder and harder. And it's the same in that process. You start up close. And then a little disconnection. And the other person decides to disconnect. And the other person decides to disconnect. And the other person decides to disconnect. And soon you're pretty far apart. That's the same process that happens in this process of disconnection. No fault of your own. You probably didn't know that you couldn't hit the pause button. And you probably didn't even notice the disconnection pieces that you were doing. You would say, well, if they're going to do that, I'm going to do this. You didn't know that the other person was going, well, if they do that, then I'm going to do this. And slowly, instead of going, you know, if they are having a hard time connecting, I'm going to still work on it, we back away from each other. 
that's the nature of disconnection. And once you get to this certain level of disconnection, you're basically waiting to hit a breaking point. Something is going to be the last straw. No telling what it is, but something is going to be the last straw. Sometimes people say, I thought it was just one more argument. And off they left. They ran out the door. What happened? It's the last straw. They forget about all the straws that were going on before that. The cam- that straw that broke the camel's back, you know, you're putting it on a little at a time, little at a time, little at a time, and the camel's standing there, and then that last little piece, and you go, wow, that's what did it? Sometimes it's a change in jobs. Sometimes it's that last argument. Sometimes it's that last... I don't know what that text message was about, or I don't know why they're friends with somebody on Facebook, or the kids are out of the house, or a myriad of other pieces that are just that last straw. Whatever the last straw is, the danger is going, that was what caused it. All I have to do is fix that, and if I fix that, we're all good. That's not the problem. The problem is that you didn't know where you were getting to. You didn't know where you were moving towards. And so it's no surprise when where you were trying to get to is a little further out of reach than you knew. So now we've laid the scenario of how you got here. Usually a a marriage that's in trouble is built on people who want to be loving, who want to have a, a wonderful relationship, who are good people who haven't realized what they were trying to get to at that point. So that's how you got to here. Now we're going to skip the here part and get to the other side of the crisis. There are some pieces that are generally the case of when people are going to work on a relationship. So the first thing that happens is you realize you're in a crisis. Whatever it is, you realize that there is this horrible crisis that's going on that's way beyond what you thought. And in the process of realizing that, you realize you've got to do something to move it forward. Now, this is where I recognize that a lot of people are going to say, well, it takes two to tango. Because I'm going to tell you, it only takes one to start that dance. You see, you've already been dancing. If you say, well, it takes two to tango, you've been tangoing for a while. It's just that the tango has been taking you further and further apart. And now we got to bring the dance back together so you're you're dancing in sync. But one person can start the process of moving towards the person who is disconnecting and maybe is not so interested. That's why this process can work. Think of it as a math equation. Remember algebra? In algebra, you had two parts of the equation. There's a little equal sign in between, and there's some numbers and some weird letters in there, and you got to keep them balanced. And so you can subtract or add or divide or multiply on this side as long as you do the same thing on the other side. And what you recognize in a marriage is whatever happens on one side of the equation, whatever you do, there is an effect that's going to equalize it on the other side. It may not feel like it, and it may not be immediate. But one of the rules I have is you got to keep constant with your plan so that there is a chance for the dance to change, the equation to change. So can you work on this by yourself? You can in the beginning. Now, people have said you can't save a marriage by yourself. Well, ultimately, you can't unless you're going to capture the person and hold them down. But you can start the process by yourself. And so let's imagine that you discovered that the marriage was in trouble. You didn't know what to do. So what's the first thing we always do in our culture? We go gather information. It's a great first step because you decide to learn and deciding to learn is the beginning rubric of anything. Whatever changes you make in your life, it's got to start with you decide to learn that there is another alternative. You find something different. No matter what it is in your life, if you wanted to take up a new hobby, you decide to learn about that hobby before you ever jump in. 
Before you ever do anything, you're going to do that. Let's say you decide to change your diet. Well, even if it's just a matter of going and grabbing some recipes, you decide to learn something different. It's no different here. So the first step in this process is deciding to learn. It's basically equipping yourself. The first step whenever you're learning something is to recognize that you didn't know what you even didn't know. You didn't know how much you didn't know about this. You didn't know what you didn't understand about a relationship. And so there we are watching the relationship kind of spin around and you didn't know what you didn't know. Well, now there's a painful next step. The next step is realizing that you now know how much you didn't know. So the first one is you didn't know what you didn't know. Now you know what you didn't know. And that can be very overwhelming. You didn't know all of these pieces. You didn't know that you were trying to be a we, create this place of being a team in this together, right? You didn't know that. And you can look back and go, wow, I missed that whole piece. And that's why we're here. You didn't know the needs of each other and addressing those needs together. You didn't know how important respect was and treating each other lovingly and with civility is. And so that wasn't happening and it falls apart. And then you realize you didn't know that love is not just an emotion. Love is an emotion that comes out of loving actions. Love is not a noun, it's a verb. I love somebody by being loving, not because there's some emotion in there that I'm naming, but because I'm doing those things. And so when you realize these pieces, that you maybe haven't been as loving as you wanted to be or as respectful as you wanted to be or acting like a we like you wanted to be and you didn't know how to address the needs of each other, then you begin to be overwhelmed. Now, the nice thing is we're on the other side of that because you realize you can take all that overwhelm and begin to sort through it. And the way we sort through anything is by making a plan. So you made your plan. That was the next step in your process to get where you are now with this great relationship as you made your plan. So what does that mean? Well, you took that information in. And here's the danger. Lots of other people got to the point of information and they never took the next step. They read lots of things and downloaded lots of information and watched lots of videos and listened to lots of audios, but they didn't take the next step because the next step is to make your plan. The next step is not to jump into action. The next step is to make your plan. So you, uh, as opposed to all the others who were gathering all that information and gathering and gathering and gathering, believing that information was enough, you took the next step. You made a plan. And that plan was about you taking responsibility for what happens next. You took accountability for your actions. You took responsibility and said, I'm going to change where things are. So let me back up just a minute because whenever I say responsible, people go, oh, you're blaming me. Blame and responsibility are not the same thing at all. Blame is about pointing the finger and saying, this was your fault. Responsibility is about saying, I can respond differently than I have. I'm able to respond in ways I choose rather than reactively. So you take responsibility. The next step past responsibility is taking accountability. Taking accountability is to be able to turn to somebody and say, I'm accountable for this part of our mess. I call that an apology. That's when you step up and you say, I want to tell you how we've gotten into trouble. Now, you did the smart thing. In your process and your plan to save your marriage, you started with sitting back and asking that accountability question. And you turned it into an apology letter. That's what I do with all of my coaching clients. 
we start with an apology letter. That apology letter gives a framework to begin to think two ways differently. One, in your spouse seeing that you're changing some things now and accepting responsibility. Again, this is not saying, hey, this was all my fault. I take on all responsibility. It's all my fault. Blame me. It's about saying, I am responsible for where we are in this relationship on my side because of this. It's naming the this, right? And the second thing that it does is it makes you think about where things need to change for you. Because one of our human traits is to really point the finger away from ourselves. And so it's easy to say, this is all about my spouse. My spouse is at fault. My spouse is the one who decided to leave. My spouse is the one who decided to cheat. My spouse is the one who decided to, you fill in the blank for you. But recognize that whenever there is a marriage crisis, two people have walked into that crisis. One person, you, has chosen to change the equation and allow the other person to come back in the relationship, at which point you will have then created that great relationship that you're talking about now. So, a step, you've taken accountability. Now, that accountability, that apology letter, you, you want to be careful with it because that's a powerful piece. That's why I teach my clients how to write that apology letter in very specific ways because I want to make sure that you're getting both pieces out of that. I don't tell you the words to use. I tell you how to frame it because that's so important. And you did that, right? In this process of looking back on where you've been, you realize that you took accountability in that apology letter. Then you took the tools of connection, as I call them, and you use those tools of connection to begin to bridge the gap. Think about how you build a bridge. You know, let's say the bridge has been washed out over a river, and, and we'll go back to the olden days. What would you do? You would take a rope and tie something to the end of it and throw that rope over. You don't just drop a big bridge on top. That's, that was, at least in days past, not possible. You'd throw a rope. And that rope, you would then tie something sturdier to, a wire. And then you would tie something bigger to that. And then you would tie something bigger to that, and you would slowly build the bridge across. And it's the same with this connection. You bridge that gap little by little using the tools of connection over and over. And so those tools of connection, you did that, right? And you can look back and you say, wow, I use that tool and I use that tool and I use that tool as a way of bridging the gap. Not only that, but you did it consistently. The next thing you did is you decided to respect your spouse no matter what. You realized that as much as we talk about this, uh, this love that has no answer to it, right? We, we, we call that um, ha- the, the, the fact that we can love somebody with no reason, right? There's no condition, unconditional love. I'd like to suggest unconditional respect, which is not the same as saying I respect all the things that person does, but to say I can treat that person with respect, I don't really believe in the fact that that unconditional love happens in a marriage, and there's no way for unconditional respect to happen, but both of those are ideals to move towards. And so you choose to act respectfully towards a spouse. You choose your behavior respectfully. You might not be able to respect everything your spouse has done. Generally, if we look at anybody closely, there are things that we are not going to respect about what they've done, but we can act with respect. And so you chose to do that. And that began to change the process with your spouse. They begin to feel differently about that. You decided to love. I don't mean you decided to create a feeling within you. A lot of times these crises are started when somebody says, I don't 
feel love anymore. I'm, they, they might say, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. And that in love with you is that adrenaline-fueled piece uh, that's kind of tied into a little infatuation, but it's also tied into acting lovingly. So how do we ever get to the place where we feel that love again? By acting lovingly. The actions of love, once you're in a serious, committed relationship, lead to the feelings of love. In the beginning, you can get those butterflies and all those those fun feelings. It's called infatuation, and that's part of what happens when there's an emotional affair or physical affairs. We confuse that with love, when in actuality, all that's going on is that infatuation has happened, and the transformation to love is when you act lovingly, consistently. And so in your process of saving your marriage, you took that on. You decided to act lovingly, repeatedly, over and over, sometimes even to the point where you recognize the importance of setting aside what you want, what you want for what the relationship needs. And this is a crucial piece of the process of saving a marriage when both people are not equally on board. You have to recognize that you sometimes have to set aside what you want for what the relationship needs. Now, let me be clear that I'm not saying that for the rest of your life, you have to live in a relationship where your desires, your wants are not met. But you start at the place where you have to dig out because if you're going the way you're going, you're already not getting your wants met. And the relationship is not getting its needs met. So both are failing. So in this process, you choose the higher ideal. You decide to work on that process where you are giving the relationship what it needs, recognizing that short-term, you're not going to get what you want. And that's okay. So that's the process that you started when you were saving your marriage. And you decided that there were three areas that you needed to address. I call them the three C's or the three simple steps to saving your marriage. Connection, changing yourself, and creating a new path. Connection, change, create. Those are the three C's, the three simple steps of saving your marriage. This is the content that I put in my book, How to Save Your Marriage in Three Simple Steps. And notice I didn't say three easy steps, three simple steps. It's We break it down into three pieces. So the first piece of that, connect. Connection is the lifeblood of a relationship. It's where we are connected with our spouse emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And there are ways to build that when it's not there. Because what happens is we humans are built with that need wired in us. We need that connection. And if it's not there, we're going to falter. And so part of this process is addressing the connection needs with your spouse. Of saying, how can I connect with my spouse in emotional ways, in physical ways, in spiritual ways, as they will allow it, given the guardedness that comes along with a hurting relationship. So the first thing you recognize is you had to connect with your spouse. The second thing is changing yourself. Now, let me be very clear. I know you not at all, but I know that we all can change. I'm not saying there's anything broken about you, that there's anything fundamentally wrong with you, as much as I know that we all have places where we can grow and be at a higher level. And so the the process in our lives is we often get to the place where we've been growing and growing, and then we stagnate. And when we stagnate, we're not bringing as much to the relationship. We're not really showing up to the relationship. We're, we're missing some pieces. And so what I'm suggesting is that you face that fact and say, I've got to change myself. 
and you begin to look at the pieces where you've stopped growing and look at the places where you consistently get feedback from the world. That's the nice thing about the world. It gives us plenty of feedback of data points of where we need to work on things. So you take those in and you begin to address that and you say, I've got a plan on how I'm going to grow and change in the world. That's what I'm talking about, about changing yourself. It's not about fixing something. It's about changing and growing and moving in that direction. And so you took that on. You decided to improve yourself. You decided to be a better person, to be more and more of you and less and less of the stagnation that keeps you away from you. That's the process of changing yourself. And then there's that whole process of creating a new path. So many times people will say to me, if we could just get back to where we were. And my response is, where you were is how you got to here. The seeds of what developed to here, to the crisis, to the problem, were rooted in where you were. So you've got to create a new path. That new path is becoming a we. We is being a team, being a unit. We are in this together. I've got your back. You've got my back. We are joint. That doesn't mean you're meshed together in some super glue relationship. Being a we requires two very strong me's coming together and bringing their best parts to it. But seeing their relationship as another entity to protect, to nurture, to grow. And so creating a new path is working on being a we. Yes, I know. Your spouse is not acting like a we. I got that. Guess what? 80 to 90% of being a we is how you imagine it in your head, how you treat money and parenting and sex and other issues. That's what molds it together into being a we. And so if you're constantly going, hey, wait, I'm not getting what I want. Hey, wait, I'm not getting my way. Hey, wait, I want my say-so then you're missing the how do we get through this life together. That changes the equation. Not what's good for you, not what's good for me, but what's good for we, what's good for us. That changes everything when people can get to that. So that's the creating a new path. And you decided to go down that new path. You knew that your spouse wasn't just going to jump on and that was okay with you. You were going to think in we terms and you were going to use those pronouns of we and us as a way of stating in your mind and your spouse's mind that you're creating a new place of being a we. That's what makes the difference. You did that, right? That In this process that we're talking about, you did that. Now you're on the other side looking back going, wow, we were so not there then. But now we are at this new place. That's about being that we. So there are a couple of ways that you then follow through on those three C's. And there's another three C's about how, how you do it calmly, constantly and consistently. You decided you could be calm because you were not going to be tied to the outcome. You can't control what happens ultimately. You looked at what you do control and you let go of what you didn't control or can't control. You can't control your spouse. You can control your choices, your actions, your responses. And so in that process, you decided to calm down and you began to work to truly calm down. You also began to work to be in a calm state in the process of the relationship. The only way to do that is by disconnecting from the outcome and focusing on where you are and what you're doing right now. And you did that. That's the first C of calm. Then there's the constant. And the constant part means that you stay with the plan because a lot of times what happens is people will try something. They'll try this tool of connection over here. And then they'll wait three weeks and then go back to that. And they can't figure out why in the middle everything fell apart. Being constant means not every moment of every day, 
but that you are constantly working your plan. Remember your plan, you put that in effect and it was so effective that now you're on the other side. And so you were constant about that. Not only were you constant, and by the way, constant doesn't mean that you are texting your spouse 24 hours a day or that you're constantly begging and pleading. In fact, that's the opposite of what I'm talking about. You're constantly following your plan to get those pieces in. The consistent piece is the danger of all that knowledge because you hear conflicting knowledge. And so you, you find something, you read something, and it makes sense to you. And so you start following that. But then a week later, you read this other interesting article or see this other interesting book and you go, oh, I'll do it that way. Because in your mind, all of it is under the rubric, the the big piece of saving your marriage. You don't realize that that approach and that approach are completely opposite approaches. And so in the process of going from one to the other, you don't realize that your spouse is going, this is crazy. And so in the process, you want to make sure that you are consistent If you decide to work on a connection method, that's my approach, is to work on that connection and change, then you make sure that everything you're adding to that is in that approach. I've talked to people who have used reverse psychology, and then they decided to do the no contact rule. Doesn't work. And then they decided to be manipulative and found some hypnotic method. Didn't work. And then they decided to be uh, in connection, working on that connection. But while they're working on that, they read something else about that reverse psychology or that no contact and off they go on that and they're just going back and forth all over the map and their spouse in the meantime hasn't changed their perspective and they're going, this is the craziness I'm trying to get away from. That's not what helps your approach. Your approach works when you find the right approach that's consistent and that's what you did. Okay, so that's how you got to here. You reconnected and you recommitted, and that's the magic. The reconnection, the recommitment, and bringing your best self to it, that's why you saved your relationship. Now, I'm hoping you took some notes on that because sometimes it's so much easier to look back and to recognize, oh, that was the path I need to follow. And now you have that path in front of you. Instead of going, how do I do that? We've talked about the whole path. We've talked about the whole process for you to move forward. The next piece is you doing that. So let me invite you, if you don't have my system, you might want to grab my system because my system is about how to get you from one side to the other, about the mental stuff. And now that you've had a moment to imagine getting on the other side, it's time to make that reality. It's time to step into that. If you've got enough resources, if if what we've talked about right now has already got you there, perfect get started. But if you're going, you know what, I've been gathering all kinds of information and I'm still not getting there, I want you to jump in and grab the Save the Marriage system. There's a link right below. You can just go to savethemarriage.com if you're watching this on YouTube or somewhere else. But there's a link somewhere right around you that's going to get you there. And this is important. You can save your marriage and you can start the process alone and you can get there when you look back and realize the steps that we've already talked about are all you have to follow. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you work to save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com.